Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, gang. Mike and Mark with you once again. Hope you're all well. We really want to thank you for all of the support you've given us for this podcast. The feedback has been great, and it really helps us shape what we do, help bring you the best guests, the remarkable personal stories. And just a quick reminder, if you wouldn't mind, if you get the time, please subscribe, rate, review us wherever you get our podcast. It helps perhaps more than you're even aware. On this episode, Mark, we're joined by a true organizational cornerstone as a man who it might be the quintessential grinder, garnering respect from everybody in the game, the fans, the city he called home his entire career. It's Alex Gordon, who just retired after spending his entire career with the Kansas City Royals. Mike, it's interesting. In this podcast, you typically have guests that have finished their career. They've gone through their moments, uh, their signature moments. But for Alex Gordon, it's all fresh. And he's in a time now where he gets to reflect on his 14-year career and what a career it was. Ups, downs, expectations. But man, was he fun to watch and an icon in Kansas City baseball. Alex, first of all, congratulations on a wonderful career. 14 years in the big leagues with the Kansas City Royals. From all of us, job well done. Congrats. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It was it was a fun ride, but um, I guess when you know the time is up, uh, that's when you know. So it just felt right for me, and uh, I'm blessed to play as long as I have and for one organization the whole time. So uh, happy about everything, how it went. It was a remarkable 14-year run, as we said, all in the same jersey. So when we ask our guests to pick what they feel is a signature moment, look, you've got a lot to pick from. In your mind, what stands out? most memorable to you? Um, obviously, when people, I think, think of me, they think of 2015, game one, uh, World Series, home run in the ninth inning. Um, you know, but looking back on it now, you know, I kind of had a, a time in my career where, you know, I, I hit a crossroad where um, I had a position change in 2010. Uh, 2009, I was hurt pretty much uh, the whole year. So it was, it was something that, uh, 2011 was very important to me as far as my career going forward with the Royals. And I remember the first game I had a great spring training came out, uh, game one against, uh, Weaver. I went over five with three strikeouts and everybody's like, Oh, again with, you know, Gordon, why is he batting in the three hole? And then after that game, I just went on a run, uh, for about, you know, 20 to 30 games and I just went off. So, uh, that was definitely that kind of jump-started my career after uh, a kind of a rocky, uh, a rocky couple of years uh, before that. Alex, interesting. You said a couple things. Uh, you had a position change, which I think comes into play, especially mentally when you're challenged at a third-base position. Then you go to the mm -hmm. outfield. There's other challenges. But you made a good point of getting off to a good start. And I, I don't think listeners understand that if you've, if you've ever played the game before, that's your sole focus. You have to get off to a good start. It really sets a tone for you mentally. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, personally, I was challenged every time to get off to a good start. It was almost like I put myself behind the eight ball all the time. Yeah. Uh, what did that mean to you to get off to that good start? Because confidence level is really a key taking you through a very successful season. Yeah, uh, you know, baseball is a, a game about failure and a lot of up and downs. And in 2011, you know, I had a, you know, I came into that off season. I started about a month early with everything as far as baseball. Uh, I was blessed to be given Kevin Seitzer, uh, who's the hitting coach now with the Braves, and he lived in Kansas City, so we were together full time. 
and it just clicked with me and him and I had an amazing spring training. Like I said earlier, I came out of spring training, you know, in the three hole and you know, that's, that's just was so important. It was to get off to a good start and not, um, you know, get that confidence out at all. So it was, it was very important for me to, to get things rolling in the right way. When you came up as a third baseman uh, and you mentioned the trouble you'd run into there, was there a feeling of additional pressure and stress because when people think Kansas City Royals and they think third base, they think George Brett. Was there added pressure for you then? And did that impact, you think, in retrospect, any of the struggles? Well, you know, after you retire, you kind of look back on everything. And um, in 2007, when I first came up, because I played one year in AA, and then they jumped me up right to the big leagues to start the season. And the Royals, as you know, you know, had 100 lost seasons after 100 lost seasons. So they were looking for something to... Uh, kind of, you know, pull for, and, you know, they, they looked at me as a third baseman and kind of looked like George and someone that could turn this organization around, but there, it was, it was in a bad place that it was going to take more than just one guy. And it did um, kind of weigh on me at the beginning of that 2007 season. But um, like I said, with Seitzer, I had Buddy Bell um, who works with uh, I think the White Sox now in the organization. Yeah. Great man, great baseball guy. And, you know, through those struggles, it was about a month of just struggling offensively, defensively. He was always behind me, always pulling from me. And I got out of that um, because of him, I think. And I actually had a pretty good uh, rookie season um, despite the the early struggles. And, um, you know, I reflect on it now. Um, you know, you're always going to be hit with uh, expectations and, and everything, but as long as you you know believe in yourself and know what you can um, you can do, uh, that's all that matters. Yeah, those expectations I think were heaped on you uh, fairly or unfairly very early on. Your first round pick by the Royals out of the University of Nebraska in 2005, you'd won the Golden Spikes Award, best amateur college player in the country, uh, and you make the team uh, out of spring training in 2007. Walk us through that period where you were told who told you what was that conversation like. And who did you contact first? Uh, well, um, going into that that season, um, I was expecting to go to AAA, to be honest, um, just because I wasn't expecting that jump. Um, I kind of hoped they would have called me up in 2006 after AA. I had a really good season and maybe kind of give me a little bit of taste of the big leagues would have been uh, kind of nice if they were expecting me to uh, make it in 2007. But I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm back in but it was funny because Mark Tien was the, the player of the year that year. He was the third baseman at the time. So they had a really big decision at the time, either keep me there or move me to the outfield or do that with Tien. And they ended up uh, moving Tien, which <laughs> looking back on it now, I kind of wish they would have moved me. It would have made everything a lot easier. Yeah, I, I think Buddy Bell called me in his office and, and, and told me, and I was just uh, blown away. Um, you know, remember calling all my family, my friends and telling them everything. But, you know, I had a really good um, veteran players on that team. Mike Sweeney, Reggie Sanders, Mark Ruzalonic, who kind of took me under their wing and just showed me how to do things on and off the field uh, that rookie year. It's interesting, uh, Gordo, that you talk about that. Uh, t- people taking uh, you under their wing. It's essential to be a big leaguer, in my opinion. If you have older guys that you respect and the way they go about their business, uh, they want to lend a hand. They also want to be able to put an arm around you at times. Um, you mentioned those three. Does anyone stick out that really uh, said, you know what, Alex, 
come with me. I want to show you the way it is. And, and it just set a tone for your career. It was, it was definitely Mike Sweeney. He, uh, he told our clubhouse guy, he was like, put the locker right next to mine. Uh, he's going to be on my side 24 seven. And I really was um, on the road. He showed me, you know, how to tip everybody, how to do things right way in the, in the hotel room. And there's no better way to kind of learn from someone like Mike. Uh, he does everything um, um, with class, with um, integrity and, and all that stuff. I could say, I could go on and on about Mike, just how good of a person he is. So he was, he was that guy that kind of took me under his wing and, and showed me everything. I think everyone knows uh, uh, Mike Sweeney when you say his name. And obviously I have the same last name. We're no relation, uh, but really good friends. If you're not a friend of Mike Sweeney and you played baseball, I think something's wrong. I, I would kind of question it a little bit. Um, it, it's interesting that you, you lend that, that, that Mike Sweeney really impacted you. Another impactful moment when you get a call up or you decide you are going to the big leagues for your first opening day uh, what was that like? Take us in walking into the locker room and seeing number seven and Gordon on the back of the Jersey. What did that make you feel like? And what was that moment like? It was, it was crazy, crazy and overwhelming because I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we pretty much spent every summer going to uh, worlds of fun, which is an amusement park here in Kansas city. And then after that, going to a Royals game. So I grew up a Royals fan um, my younger brother is named Brett after George Brett. So it's just, it's just crazy how it all worked out and all unfolded to, to that day. And I was, I was overwhelmed. Um, we were playing the Red Sox too, which at the time, um, they're really, really good. They had Shelly and Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, all these guys I looked up to all my life. And, um, I'm not going to lie that when I went out there on that, uh, onto that field and saw the pack stadium and all those players, I was, I was a little nervous, so uh, to say the least. And I'll never forget the first at bat. I was bad in five hole and uh, came up bases loaded with Kurt Schilling on the mound and uh, with one out and got a sand ovation. And, you know, ended up having a pretty good at bat, got three, two, fouled a couple of fastballs off. And no, no one Schilling now, he knew I was a rookie, so he threw that dead and splitter and struck me out. But a little unfortunate right there, but ended up getting a sand ovation going back to the dugout. <laughs> Like, oh, well, this is going to be pretty easy, I guess, if I get a stand ovation after striking out with the bases loaded. So that's beautiful. Good times. Yep. Do you remember what your uh, what your family conversation was like following that first game? Um, so I, I don't think I had a very good game. Um, I'll never forget this, but uh, my one of my, my my grandpa was there. And, you know, you know how, you know, grandpas are. They they say something. Or, or whatever, but um, I came out of the locker room and everybody was, oh, you know, good job. You know, it's only going to get better. And the grandpa goes, well, that wasn't good today. <laughs> so, looking back on it now, it's pretty funny, but um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a memorable day. Alex, take us through your first, uh, because I love hearing first hit, also your first homer. What do you remember of those two moments? Yeah, uh, Dice K. Uh, was my first hit. It was at home. I think it was the, I think it was the next day. It was a day game and ended up getting a broken bat kind of jam job to left field uh, that, you know, scooted by the shortstop for a base hit. So, um, you know, that was, that was, uh, I needed that because I think I was like over seven or something like that. So you always need little flare jobs that kind of get you going. And then my first home run was against, um, I think it was Josh Towers. Uh, that name sounds familiar. Yep. Uh, 
was Toronto, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, it was a couple weeks in the season, pulled it down the line, hit it pretty good. But um, funny story about that is I think it was like 2010, 2011, I was at a bar um, having, you know, a drink, uh, a nice meal. And uh, with my brother-in-law and all of a sudden a beer came over and the lady goes, uh, you know, this beer is from a guy over there that said that you hit your first career home run off him. So um, it was kind of, it was kind of a funny story. And they got us <laughs> Thank you for, for both things, I guess, for the beer and the home run. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, Alex, what's the backstory between uh, number seven and number four? Why did you start with number seven? Why did you go to number four? Well, I always wanted a number four. So I grew up in high school. I had four with, you know, every sport I played. Um, went to Nebraska. A senior had number four at the time. And so I had to get the closest number to that, which was three uh, for a couple of years. And then finally was just able to get that uh, my junior year. Um, and the same thing happened with the Royals. Uh, Angel Barrera at the time was a shortstop. He had number four. And me just being the young rookie, I had to get the closest number available and obviously five wasn't available and someone had six. So then uh, I went with number seven. So um, I think on hell left the next year and uh, everybody knew I wanted number four. So that's when it switched over. Well, we know number five is not available, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are upset because a lot of people bought the number seven Jersey in their rookie year and they're like, and then next year I changed and they're like, Oh, now we got to go buy another one. So <laughs> <laughs> marketing loved you though. Merchandise. Sales. Yeah. They did. Yeah, we're working together. Yeah. Well, you know what, Alex, uh, you talked about Mike Sweeney and other influences you had, but also uh, going through your career, there's usually uh, a coach that you adapt to. That you already talked about Kevin Seitzer, who has a tremendous uh, reputation in the game of baseball. Any other coach that sticks out to you? Uh, you made that transition to the outfield. Anyone stick out to you that uh, made an impact in your career? Um, well, obviously the the obvious choice, like a would be Negios. Um, you know, he always believed in me from day one. I remember the in 2010, um, when I got called back up from the outfield, he was the manager. He took over for Hillman. And the first day was in New York and he called me in his office and he said, Hey kid, sit down. And he's like, I don't care what you do today. If you strike out four times, make three errors, as long as you give me 110% on the field and off the field, I could care less what you do. And that kind of stuck with me. And that's kind of how I, um, approached every day, every game uh, with him, um, you know, just leave it all out there. And then whatever happens, happens. And I really, you know, owe a lot to to Ned for always backing me and always having, you know, not only my back, but everybody in that clubhouse is back. And I think that's what made our team so, so good together is um, we all had each other's back. You know, you're considered among the quintessential grinders in the game. And I think that's earned you a ton of respect, clearly, from former players, current players, fans, uh, your entire city of Kansas City. The question often comes to guys who do what you do. How much of this game is mental? How much of this game is physical? And with the challenges you face, changing positions, trying to fit in, all the hype going into your big league career, did you ever have moments of doubt that crept into your mind when you're making this transition from say third to the outfield that, Hey, maybe, maybe I can't do it at this level. Oh yeah. Uh, 2010, when I went down to triple A to uh, change the position, I had the right man mindset. Uh, you know, I was prepared to go down there and work and get better. Cause you know, I had two years of just injuries and a lot of time off. So that's, that was my goal was to just put the work in every day and get better, better and get back up to the big leagues. But at the same time, you know, I was like, this wasn't what I expected. This is, wasn't how 
I thought my career would go. Um, so I was actually looking back at going back to school at Nebraska and finishing my degree, which um, was starting to talk about it just because what was what was going on at the time. But um, it's it seemed to all work out for the re, uh, the right reason and was able to get back up there uh, later in 2010. And I think the the rest is history after that. So. No, just with life and baseball, you know, it's going to throw you, you know, curves and you're just going to have to find ways to get out of it. And I've always looked at hard work and uh, doing things the right way is a way to do it. Alex, let's dive into uh, a period of time in your career that really had to be extra special. And if you look at all those stats, all the numbers, all that stuff, it's great. Uh, But now you start realizing there's some accolades that come with it. Uh, you look. You said, talked about 2011, but also 2013. You make your first of three All Star teams. What was mm-hmm. that like for you, and how gratifying was it, especially after the struggles in 2010, as you mentioned? It was. Um, you know, 2011. I actually thought I had better seasons than 11 and 12, but kind of look on the back of it now. I think you have to kind of establish yourself to, before you get that All Star game. I remember I was one of the the five like lap final votes and. Um, you know, being from Kansas City, I didn't think I had any chance going up against, you know, guys from the White Sox, guys from the Yankees, but I ended up getting in second place. So came close and was kind of not, not upset, but just down that, you know, I didn't make it. But then in 2013, actually pulling through, um, it meant a lot to me, at, you know, at the time, just coming from where I came from. Um, but not only that, um, you know, when you think of the Royals, when I, when I first came up, it was always just one guy would go to that all-star game. And it was just kind of like a, a throwing guy because you had to have one guy. And it almost felt like, you know, um, Greg Holland went and um, Salvador Perez went at the time. So instead of that courtesy throw-in for the all-star game from the Royals, I, I felt like for our team, that was big because it gave us a lot of confidence that, you know, we're kind of here now and uh, we can compete with these other teams. I don't want to assume anything, but, uh, you know, you establish uh, a reputation in the game of baseball by offensively putting up numbers, but defensively you start rattling off gold gloves, uh, eight total after this year, also two platinum glove winners. Um, that's pretty incredible. I know you don't want to talk about yourself, but I think that's something that really indicates to fans how hard you put into a, a position change. Could you speak to that as well? Yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to lie in 2000 in 2009, you know, after I came back from my hip surgery, I, I was terrible at third base and going into 2010, uh, you know, I broke my hand in spring training. So we really didn't get any work, um, defensively, um, and then came into the season and was terrible again. So I was just in a bad place as far as kind of letting the team down, letting the pitchers down defensively. And so it was my goal, my mindset, you know, if I want to make this position change, I don't want to be a defensive liability and I want to be great out there and I don't want to get back to where I was. And, you know, that's just what I focused on on a daily basis was just being, you know, uh, the best fielder I could be for this team and for, for the pitcher really, because I felt like I let him down for a couple of years. Was there anyone in particular you modeled your play after, especially when you moved to the outfield? Well, I mean, there was, there was a lot of guys, uh, I know David DeJesus, when I made a position change, he was out there. So, you know, I kind of looked at his game and I think when you make that position change, um, there's a lot of guys you look at Jeff Francoeur, um, 
at the time came over in 2011 when I made that switch. And, you know, he was a young superstar and kind of had his ups and downs later, but um, was still a great defensive player and had a cannon for an arm. So I really picked his brain a lot uh, when it was my first full season in 2011 to be um, an outfielder. So he was, he was very instrumental uh, helping me out. And then Rusty Coons, who everybody knows around the league, is really well respected and probably one of the best outfield base running coach in the game. And when I made the position change in 2010, he went down down there with me because he was the the rover at the time, and he he helped me out every day. So there's no better person to have with you to to learn a position than than Rusty Coons. What a great job! Uh, I think Dayton Moore and the entire Royals organization did putting together yourself and a group of fellas who could take them to the next level. And as you're having these good years and you're starting to develop as an outfielder, your team gets an opportunity to play for all the marbles and you get to the world series in 14 and you get there and win it in 15. But let's start with 14 and what it meant to you and your group to get to the pinnacle uh, of major league baseball stages. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just about believing in ourselves. Um, I told you about the all-star game that kind of helped us out in 2013, but then the second half of 2013, we, we kind of made a postseason run and came up just a little bit short at the end. But I think that was huge for our team as far as gaining confidence, knowing that we can do this. And then, um, having that carry over to 14, uh, we started off kind of slow, but then kind of hit our stride later in the year. And I think having that experience from 13 really helped out, later in the year in 14 when we were, you know, clinched on the, almost the last day of the season. Um, um, that helped us out a lot. And then we kind of just off from, from there. I think former players and uh, when it gets to playoff time, uh, you, you dig in. Uh, if you're not watching every element, how it all plays out, I think it's so exciting. And uh, you guys go against the Giants. And Madison Bumgarner's chart starting to – uh, really stir things up. I mean, he had the wild card game against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then it almost seemed like he didn't do anything wrong, uh, including uh, pitching in 2014. Can you give us a perspective uh, from yours? Because you came up with a big single with a two-base error in the ninth, but Madison Baumgart is on the mound to finish off the World Series. What was your uh, perspective in your lens? Uh, just amazing respect for Baumgartner, what he did that postseason, what he did to our team in, in that World Series. Um, they had a great team, but honestly, one guy beat us in, in that postseason. Um, he had three wins against us and really just was a bulldog that whole, that whole series, that whole postseason. So I tip my cap to what he did and uh, what he was able to do to us. And um, But then once it was over, you know, I kind of looked back um, and – I wasn't disappointed. I was really proud of our guys, where we came from, and no one expected us to get to, you know, where we got to. And so um, I think after all, after it was, it was all said and done, we got in the locker room. We were disappointed, obviously, at the time. But then, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, we were all hugging each other and just telling each other how proud we were of, of one another, just where we came from and where we got to. Hard enough to get there once, and many players never get that chance. You get there twice uh, in back-to-back years, so I imagine 14 fuels your energy uh, for 15. And that takes us to a moment where I think a lot of fans put you when they think Alex Gordon's big moment. It was game one of the 2015 World Series against the Mets. You're down by a run, bottom of the ninth, you homer to tie it. Uh, But I'm sure it's much bigger than that inside the mind of Alex Gordon Tell us about the moment, what it meant for you, what it meant for your team. 
uh, you know, at the time, um, you know, it was, I think it was the eighth inning, which this never happens. Hosmer made an error, uh, yeah. to score, which we never see. So we were kind of all in shock, but with our team, we were so, you know, stuck together and so, uh, pulling for each other that once something like that happened, we knew we had to pick Hosmer up, uh, you know, at the time, you know, he's done it for us over and over again. Uh, so it was, it was our time to do it. And, um, it was the ninth inning. It was, um, I was on deck and actually Salvi, Salvi was hitting. And, you know, during the playoffs, you go over everybody just way more than you do during the season. As far as scouting reports, you go over defense, everything. And we went over uh, Familia at the time, but no one ever mentioned a quick pitch. And uh, Salvi was hitting, and I think it was like the third pitch. He did a quick pitch to Salvi and kind of caught him off, off balance, off guard. And I look back at our hitting coach, Dale Swain, and he was like, yeah, he's doing that now. Uh, be ready in the box. So I always, I always felt the Joey Votto. I, I went up there and, you know, I got in the box and I think it was the third pitch, but after every pitch, I never left the box. I just stood right there. And I think Joey Votto does it all the time. That's why I say that. But I didn't want to be surprised by that quick pitch. And, and sure enough, he did it like the third, I think it was the third pitch. And, um, you know, his sinkers, 95, 96, just with, a tremendous down angle and he quick pitched me and threw it right down the middle and it didn't move. So, um, I was pretty fortunate to, to see that beforehand and, and learn from Salovey and then, uh, able to put a good swing on it. Take us around those bases. Uh, cause that's a moment. I think, uh, it, you were, we're back in the backyard, wiffle ball. We, we say, Hey, Alex Gordon, one, one pitch. And he takes it deep into center field. What was that like going around? Because the shots uh, of TV and, and seeing the Kansas City fans going crazy. I saw a guy kissing his wife next to him. I mean, that's a, a moment that I think everyone is dying for. What was it like for you? Honestly, like thinking back on it now, I don't remember it that well just because it was so crazy and so much adrenaline excitement. I kind of remember putting my finger up at first base, um, which is kind of the picture everybody has and then crossing home plate into my chest. Cause I was just so fired up. Uh, but the thing that was the coolest for me was I was telling you about Hosmer, how we always picked each other up. Um, I got into the dugout and it was high five and, and Hosmer was the last guy. And you could just tell how, you know, thankful he was that I did that. And um, we just gave each other a hug and he was so fired up and, you know, after that was all said and done, I got, you know, you go down the stairs where you can be in peace, like with no one. Yeah. And I was I'm like, holy crap. I like, what's just happened? <laughs> like did that. So it was kind of like just so much going on, so much adrenaline. But then once everything, you kind of step away from it, you're just like in shock and um, in a good way, though. Yeah, it's 2020 in the blink of an eye, isn't it? I mean, it's only five years ago you win the World Series. Does it feel like that much space has elapsed and time has elapsed? Um, kind of. Uh, I kind of <laughs> wish we had a couple more runs with that with that team. Uh, it was pretty unfortunate that all of our free agents were in 2017. And, you know, being a small market team, it's going to be hard to kind of carry all those guys over. So um, I wish we could have had a couple more years to run together. And um but, you know, looking back on it now, we'll, we'll never forget it. I mean, we still talk. We still have group cha chats together and still talk talk about those memories, those days and uh, friendships for life. So uh, it's something that was special. You had a couple opportunities to uh, become one of those free agents you just mentioned. Why was it important for you to work something out and stay in Kansas City? 
Well, uh, you know, after I signed back and I, I got a pretty good contract from them, I told Dayton right after I signed, I was like, it didn't matter what you gave me. I was coming back no matter what. And <laughs> he was kind of, because uh, he pro- probably could have got less for me, but that's just how baseball works. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, going into 15, um, you know, coming off 14, we got so close. So everybody was so focused on just getting back to to the World Series and winning it all. And I knew I was a free agent, but just that focus was so evident through the team that I really didn't even think about um, free agency until probably – I think it was Houston. Uh, it was game four and they were starting a career just hit a home run or Asmus just hit a home run. They went up by like four runs in the eighth inning and I was standing in the outfield and I was thinking, man, this might be my last game. And I was almost tearing up. And then um, as you guys might know, we got back in the dugout and had that big inning after that. And uh, the rest is history. But, um, you know, at that time I was, it was, I was kind of checking myself and <laughs> trying to stay in the moment, trying to stay with the team, but at the same time, hoping that it wasn't the last time. So um, it all worked out. So that's good. Alex, you, you, you mentioned Dayton Moore um, as players and, and our listeners need to understand uh, a general manager's job is not to be personalized with, with players. Uh, sometimes it's, it's almost secluded so much where you feel awkward. I was fortunate enough to have Kevin Towers, a late Kevin Towers, as a GM here in San Diego and the personal touch means a lot because it's a real guy and he understands what you're going through. He also understands what he has to do as an organization. Uh, Dayton Moore uh, and yourself seem like you have a very good relationship. Can you speak to that and how important that is to stay a Royal and be a Royal for your whole career? Yeah. I mean, to have him as a general manager of my whole career, it's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys that cares more about the person than the player. And he says that from day one. And, you know, some guys might say, and then you kind of, you know, brush it off because, you know, he's not sincere about it, but this guy is 100% sincere about everything he says, everything he does. And he shows it in, in many ways. And, you know, that was his sole focus was just to make sure, um, every player was good off the field before they were on the field. And he knew if, if it was like that, um, it was going to carry over to, to the clubhouse and to the field. So um, he has high integrity and very highly respected by every player that played for him. And uh, there's a good reason why. So I hope, you know, we were talking about all the coaches and everything that had, um, influential um, things for my career, but he was the guy that really drove my career from day one till the end. And I owe pretty much everything to him. So um, there's not another person, not another man that I respect more than Dayton. Yeah. And the, and the respect throughout baseball goes, goes with that too, which I think is high praise and it, and it should be. Um, Alex, let's take us into 2020 uh, and you're focused on, Playing out uh, your last year in Kansas City, you are, you almost assume this is going to be your last year in 2020, the pandemic, the challenges that Major League Baseball went through, which I thought was amazing uh, the way the sport handled it, went through the playoffs and got that championship. It's your final year, but you're not in front of the fans that really identified you. Um, and, and there's disappointment. But what was that like as you took the ride through 2020? Can you describe that? Yeah, it was, it wasn't the way I wanted it to go out, but it was, it was a crazy ride for sure. Um, 
you know, during all of it, during the quarantine session, um, during the beginning of the season when everybody was, you know, kind of testing positive for, for it, I didn't think the season was going to finish and I had my doubts and to see it unfold the way it did and how MLB and the, all the players got together and made it happen was, was something special. So, um, I'm glad that it, it, it didn't uh, fizzle out and we got to, you know, have a championship and everything because, um, you know, with the way the world's going, the, our country, um, I think we needed it. And we were kind of the sport that kind of was the guinea pig of how to do things and um, how to get through it. But at the same time, just to inspire people just to watch something other than replays and reruns, just to watch something live and uh, get kind of get your focus away from everything that was going on in the world. So it was kind of a release for a lot of people. And um, I was glad to be a part of it. Yeah, your last year is a, with a new manager, Mike Matheny, who has a lot of respect in the game as well. Uh, former teammate of mine, absolutely love him. John Mabry, the hitting coach, uh, love these guys, but it's your final year. Yep. And you're presented, how am I going to finish this? Um, how do I want to finish it? I'm sure a lot goes into your uh, thought process of how it's going to play out. Uh, manager Mike Matheny does a, a really cool thing on your last weekend. He ends up uh, asking you to manage the, the last game. Uh, yeah. Take us into your mentality of going through that weekend and how you're going to present it. I mean, they went over the top as far as, you know, every day it was something new they were doing for me to uh, support me to to just everything. Um, I couldn't thank them enough. So it wasn't just the last day. It was that whole weekend series with the Tigers. And Matheny was great. Uh, my teammates were great with the support and everything. And then the last day he came up to me the night before and was like, so they were going to, they had a pretty tough lefty going. I think he was a rookie, but threw hard. And um, Zimmerman was going to throw to start um, because he had, he had um, an injury and they wanted to get a couple innings in. And so he was like, I'm going to bat you lead off. Is that okay? And then after that, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that, I mean, that's fine. Um, sure. Why not? And, you know, I had a lot of lead off home runs in my career. So that was my whole focus on, on, on that lead off at that. I was just trying to go deep. And I think Zimmerman knew it too, because he threw me a pretty good stinker. Oh, oh. And I was just pulling my head, pulling off it and uh, kind of chuckle with the, the umpire and the, and uh, the whole play guy ended up striking out, which was, which was fine. Um, but um, Matheny did it right for me. Uh, he did everything uh, the right way. And it, it was a good way to go out with him. I actually just finished his book, um, The Matheny Manifesto. Yeah. It was just finished reading yesterday. And I texted him and I was like, great book. I wish I kind of would have read this before you were my manager. So I knew I was getting into with you. But <laughs> I mean, stand-up guy does everything the right way, and the one regret I have is not being able to play with him for a couple more years because um, he's 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 a special manager. So it's going to be fun to see what he does with that team. Alex, I hope you don't mind. Uh, there's so many details that I've read, that I've heard in in your final week, your your, your final presentation, including that Mike Matheny thing. But uh, one of those moments which was really cool because this is kind of, uh, you know, handing it off to the, the next guard. And, and Whit Merrifield, who started in center field that day, shifts over to left, and he, he is taking over for you. You guys have a great relationship. Yep. At, 
what was that like? Was that scripted the way you wanted to? Did you know about it? Because to me, as a baseball fan and watching you play and and knowing those situations are very important to how you finish, that embrace with Whit Merrifield was really cool from a baseball fan. Yeah, well, you know, baseball is not all about just what you do on the field, what you produce. It's about friendships. And I think one of the best, I had many friendships over the years, but one of the best friendships I'm going to walk away with is with Merrifield's friendship and what we just went together, went through together um, as baseball players and men through, through our career. And I respect him, you know, more than, more than he probably knows. And I just love the way he competed and the way he went about it. So it was just one of those guys that, um, you know, walking away from the game, um, it's never easy, but when you walk away from teammates like that, it makes it even more, more harder, more special. And um, to do it with him in the outfield um, on that last, on that last day was, was meant a lot to me, but I would say one of the coolest things I saw in that, that weekend series with the Tigers was it was one game where the whole team had the pine tar on the back of their jerseys, just to kind of, um, salute me to going out, uh, which was very cool. But when I got in the clubhouse, I saw Hosmer, Ustakis, uh, Drew Butera, uh, a couple other players do it from around the league and sent me pictures. And it, it teared me up just because <laughs> I don't know how much, if they know how much that meant to me, but it was, it was special. I think you're seeing a lot of the love uh, that the game has for you coming out as it should be uh, in this year, especially as peculiar as the years played out. Dayton Moore has said there will be an Alex Gordon day. Uh, hopefully it's in the very near future when fans are allowed in the ballpark so it's done properly. And for the fans' perspective, we're hearing a lot of clamoring for a, an Alex Gordon statue outside of Kauffman <laughs> Stadium. Don't know where your head is on that either. But when you see the way people feel about you express the way it's been, what message do you have to those people who have supported you, many vocally and others uh, in silent and quiet, steadfast support. Um, that it, it means everything to me. I think um, the perfect way that they showed me support this year was, you know, during the Platinum Glove Award. I know uh, this year it was all fan voting. And, you know, I don't in 2014, I thought I kind of deserved the Platinum Award. I, I think in 2020 that you could have gave it to a lot more deserving people. But the fact that it was a fan voting and I got it over some of the guys that were up for it meant a lot to me and just showed me um, what I experienced my whole through whole career through the ups and downs and, and everything that they always supported me and always showed me love over the years. And that's what I try to do, you know, outside the community when I played was just give it all for them on a daily basis and not cheat them at all uh, for what they were, what they were supporting me. I could, that's the least I could do for them. Alex, it really, you know, listening to this, it, it, it's not hard to realize you're, you're just a regular dude. And why I say that is that uh, throughout your career, I think uh, listeners don't understand impact that people not in uniform uh, mean to you. And why I say this is, is Jeff Davenport, and I'm going to mention, and, and this is a guy that uh, was very special to you. Uh, traveling secretary, I don't want to get his his title wrong. Traveling secretary, clubhouse guy, um, very important to you. But he did something extra special in that last weekend. And and could you could you lend that story if you don't mind? Um, 
I mean, there was a lot he did. So is there, is there a particular thing you're talking about? Yeah, probably the, the over the locker, your locker, and and knowing that probably no one's going to be wearing number four again. Right. So I told Davy, I kind of knew halfway through the year and having the special relationship I did with Davy, I told him earlier on in the year, so probably halfway through the season. And I told him I didn't want him to do anything for me until we were either out of it or the last series of the year because I just didn't want to take away from anything uh, as far as my teammates or anything going forward. I didn't want to be a distraction at all. And he was very vocal to me about he wanted to do it like a month early and just do it every day. And I was like, nope, nope, this is what it's going to be like. So if it, if it was up to him, he would have did even more than what he did. But to have that um, uh, that sign above the locker and knowing that it's going to be there forever, um, I mean, it's just you can't really say anything into words what that means to me. And I think you can see the, I think it's on YouTube. I, I have the speech or, or whatever. Cause it was kind of, I was kind of blindsided. I was in the hot tub, cold tub, trying to get ready for a game on me out there. So I was like, I was half naked and I had put on clothes and I'm <laughs> a little bit kind of like off my guard. Um, but with Mary Phil got up there, um, uh, Matheny said some nice things to me. I think Dayton said some things, but I know Davenport was a guy behind it. Most of it. So, um, it was, it was a special moment and, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't thank Davy enough. I ended up giving him something after the season was over, but I told him that nothing can really replace what you did for me that, that, that weekend, because for me and my family, not only myself, but what he did for my family that weekend to be able to see me and, um, and watch my final game was, he just went over and beyond, uh, what he could have done. A wonderful 14 year career. Uh, in Kansas City comes to an end after the 2020 season. I know it's early, not had a lot of time to reflect on it or perhaps look ahead, but you know spring training's just around the corner. It's going to look a little different for you, I'd imagine. What's next for Alex Gordon? My golf game. I'm trying to figure it out right now. Uh, I just got back from the driving range, so um, I met with a couple golf pros. I met with one actually in 2016. So I, I grew up never playing golf. I grew up playing football, soccer, uh, basketball, baseball. Um, never really touching a golf club until later uh, when I started playing um, in the big leagues and seeing everybody enjoying it, playing it. And I've always loved watching it from afar, watching the the Masters, the U.S. Open. So I always wanted to play. Uh, so anyways, 2016, I met with a golf pro and I was terrible swinging it left-handed, shanking it, slicing it, <laughs> barely off the tee. And he's like, okay, grab this right-hand club. And sure enough, I did. And it felt kind of awkward, but I hit it right down the middle. And he's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to stick with this. So I have became a right-handed golfer. Uh, I'm taking lessons right now from uh, like AUX golfer, Kevin Ward in Kansas City. He's really teaching me a lot right now. But um, that's pretty much I, what I do uh, all day, every day right now is just trying to figure out this golf game because I want to I figure it out. I want to enjoy it and have fun with the uh, uh, my ex teammates and say that, you know, I can kick their butt. So, um, <laughs> give me, give me like a year or two to, to just enjoy my family, enjoy my free time for a little bit. And then I'm going to kind of readjust and see where life takes me. Alex, it's interesting. You say that because uh, I was a left-handed hitter. I, I play golf righty and I putt lefty. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it's so strange. And then when you get the remarks, when you're playing with people that have, you've never played before, I say, listen, it's a built-in excuse. Uh, It's (laughs) constantly a challenge to get better. But you made a a good point. Uh, Golf, for me, is not getting a better score or getting your handicap lower. 
it really becomes uh, those times that you can reflect and you have that ability now to reflect on your career, but also all your teammates. And, yeah. and there's there's no worries behind it. It has everything to do with you're playing around a golf and then you go back to your family, you get to enjoy it and, and vice versa. I, I think that's something that is extra special. But to me, you've earned that. And I, and I think it really has a lot to do with now uh, reflecting on so many great things in a very successful career. So I want to say congratulations. Loved watching you play. And uh, this was fun to be. But now... Get that handicap down and also just make sure you're a little competitive, especially from the right side. Yeah, I still have that left-handed putter, by the way, too. Still the- <laughs> Always keep that because I couldn't yep. see, I can't see the line right-handed. Folks, thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.